Hello and welcome to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm exhausted. I feel that. We are your hosts for the evening. Why don't you tell them what happened to you? Okay, so my mom, she, I think I've mentioned that she is French. She was born in Switzerland, technically, but she grew up in France. And so she was had a green card this whole time. She finally got her citizenship this past week. Oh, we, yay. So she did the interview about two weeks ago. And then on Monday, we drove out to Norfolk to get, because she had her swearing in ceremony the next morning. Wait, wait, and wait. About, How long has she been in America? 37 years. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, listen, it's been a whole process. She was going to apply for citizenship sooner, but you can't apply within six months of your green card expiring. And so she had to renew the green card, which is a couple hundred dollars. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to get my money's worth out of this. I'm going to wait. She then decided to go through the process. Um, about a year, year and a half ago is when she started that whole process. But yeah, so she had a swearing in ceremony on Tuesday morning. But we were about an hour away from our destination when my car started <laughs> started messing up. And then about 20 minutes from the hotel, it just stopped accelerating. So that was fun. I got my car in December. It was a used car, but it was it's still a relatively new car to me. I've only put 4,000 miles on it. Yeah, how many miles did it have on it? Uh, not, a little bit over 95,000 total. Oh, it's another that bad. So, yeah, like I only put like about 4,000 miles on the car myself, but... <laughs> it needs a whole new transmission, but thankfully, I think it's because it's like a recall or something. Kia is going to cover it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. As long as I don't have to pay for it, I don't give a shit. <laughs> After trying to get my car towed in Norfolk six separate times, a towing company in where I live drove three and a half hours away to go get my car and bring it back to the dealer because we couldn't like nobody in norfolk would come and get my fucking car i'm like bro <laughs> what the hell they hated you yeah clearly so well, i don't know um, when i'm getting my car back but that's where we're at this week i'm having somebody <laughs> come to my house on monday to measure my hallway my living room my bathroom and my kitchen mm -hmm. for hardwood floors and it's gonna be a fucking bitch Ooh. because we're gonna have to move everything and i told chris i was like we're yeah. just gonna move it to one half and then when they're finished with that half we'll just move it back <laughs> but i forgot we had to move the fridge that's what we were talking about today i was like oh we just oh, bought groceries yeah. <laughs> i was like you i hope we don't have to move like, the toilet you might well he doesn't have to put it back on i just don't know where we're gonna put the toilet <laughs> Yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, you can always put it out in your yard. Uh, that's the yard art. No. Okay, so today, this is going to be a different episode. I guess in in sort of in the vein of the Mount Everest episode, that one was more about like, dead say, bodies. She was just but copying necessarily... me. She just wants to copy me. She just wants to not okay. do a crime one. Well, no, it's I was watching TV, and sometimes I just have TV on in the background, like on a random channel. That day, I chose the travel channel, and it was called Mysteries at the Museum. It was, it was a random show. Who just watches the travel channel? Listen, it was literally just on the <laughs> background noise. But there was one story that caught my attention, and it was that of Carrie Nation. And if you don't know who Carrie Nation is, she is a prohibitionist <laughs> who would go into saloons with a hatchet and destroy things. And so we're going to talk about Miss Carrie Nation. I know she's she, the first feminist. Uh, well, that's the thing is that she was like, she was very like. I thought initially when I was doing research, she was very like staunch Christian, like Puritan type of person. But like, as I was reading, I'm like, no, like I completely get no. where she was coming. Well, no, it's just like, 
I completely get where she was coming from with her approach. Yeah, I too want to get drunk. <laughs> no, she she wasn't getting drunk. She was trying to stop people from drinking. Oh, I I I want to get drunk, so I'm <laughs> against what she's for. But get yeah. for her. <laughs> well, no, that's the thing is that like I'm not for prohibition, but I understand where she was coming from. Because as I was doing research, like you know, there's always people who are like sensationalizing it, basically making her out to be crazy. And so initially that was my impression, but the more I read about her and I also read her autobiography that she published and the more I read I was like you know what I get it I get like she's not she's not kooky it's just bad PR because people didn't like yeah people didn't like what she stood for essentially and so they made her out to be during this time yeah they basically made her out to be a villain essentially because she was against drinking but when you find out like the reason why she's against drinking like it makes more sense and she doesn't seem as kooky so we're gonna talk about miss carrie nation but before we do apparently my dad went to college with one of her descendants <laughs> i thought you were about to her say he was... went to college with her and i was like i thought your dad was like 50 he is not that old <laughs> like i know he doesn't look his age but he's definitely not that old so he, he actually reached out to her on Facebook the other day because I, I mentioned that I was covering Carrie Nation on this episode. So you're welcome, Dad. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started. So <laughs> this is the story, the life story of Carrie Amelia Nation. So official records have her name listed as Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, until later on in her life. But apparently her father spelled it C-A-R-R-Y. So it could be either or. You'll see either spelling as you are researching. I know that she like officially started going by Carrie with a Y later on in life because her initials were then Carrie A Nation. And so that was kind of like her slogan as well as her name. <laughs> Wait, Nation was- is such a dope last name. I know, right? So she was born Carrie Amelia Moore, and so Nation was her second husband's last name. But she was born November 25th, 1846, in Girard County, Kentucky, as the eldest of six children. She had three sisters and two brothers, and also at least two half-brothers. There might have been other siblings, but I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot of information out there. I saw one of her brother's names was Charles, and then her half-brother's names were Tom and Richard. So she was born to George and Mary Campbell Moore. Mary was a widow, so the two half-brothers were from her first marriage. George was a stock dealer and a slaveholder who owned a plantation in Kentucky. So... That was that was fun. Wow, George! <laughs> Reading about wow, that. Wow, George! I mean, it, Love it that was the times. You, George. It was it was the times, and apparently he treated them very nicely, according to Carrie. So I, I that's what they all say. Yeah, you're not <laughs> like, treating them very nice if you own them. Uh, yeah. See, that's the thing. Is like when I was reading, I was just like, okay. I'm just going to take that a little bit with a grain of salt. (laughs) Yes. So in spite of having this plantation or whatever, he like the family struggled with poverty. They were not well off. And on top of that, Mary was described as being mentally ill. Obviously, they didn't really have names for these kind of things back in the day, but they did say that she suffered from delusions, believing that she was at first a lady in waiting for Queen Victoria. And then later she kind of believed that she was the queen herself. So some sources said that she there had were high expectations. <laughs> I mean, if if you're not the queen in your in your life, then are you really the main character? 
No, you know, never. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, so some sources said there were many people in her family who also suffered from mental illness, but the only one that I know for sure was her mom. And I know that some mental illnesses can be like genetic or hereditary. Hereditary. So, I, yeah. So it's very possible that others in her family also suffered. So there was some speculation about the fact because the family moved around a lot and so part of that was because of like financial situations and like finding other ways to make money and also there was some speculation that people like they moved so much because of mary's mental state and like rumors that would spark about that so her mother actually ended up spending about three years in an asylum in nevada missouri from august 1890 until she died in september of 1893 and I don't envy her at all because in the asylums were not like there's a reason they were why they literally them. torture. Yeah, they literally tortured those people. It yeah. So if you don't know a whole lot of information about asylums, I would recommend reading. It's a very short, I guess, expose written by Nellie Bly, which is the pen name for journalist Elizabeth Jane Cochran. It's called Ten Days in a Madhouse. She essentially faked insanity which apparently was very easy to do back then because they thought that women were just insane regardless uh if they expressed too many emotions (laughs) um so she was institutionalized you can only be happy and horny yes that's that's the only that's the only thing you can do with your life as a woman happy and horny but you can only be horny for your husband you can't cheat Yes. I mean, you can't cheat now. That's and, looked upon. Yeah, uh, it's looked yeah, down upon. If, if you cheat, no. You're a bad person. Uh, so she yeah. was institutionalized for 10 days in order to write an expose on the treatment of patients. It was not great, but I recommend reading it. It's a relatively short read because, uh, yeah. Anyway, so she had a – Carrie had a close relationship with her father, much closer than the one with her mother for that reason because a lot of that time – her mother was sick. She was spending time either with her father or with the slaves who were kind of like raising the kids. Cause that's what they were forced to do. And I have in my notes that it was repeatedly emphasized that because they raised her, she thought fondly of African-Americans in pretty much every source. So I'm going to say that. Did she like, free them? Did, no, but that's the thing is that she thought then fondly of, I them. don't care, <laughs> um, but you don't uh, think fondly enough to free them. Well, see, I will say they were on the side of the Union in the Civil War. So at least there's that. But still. <laughs> okay. The Civil War wasn't about freeing slaves. It was I'm... about resources. No. It was states' rights. But state rights to own slaves. No, yeah, but it was states' rights. But they still only freed the slaves just to ruin the South's chance no, of winning I, the war. No, I know. But... The whole reason why the South wanted to secede was because they felt that the federal government was trying to stop them from owning slaves. Like, look up the cessation document of South Carolina and you'll see that slavery is mentioned 18 times. No, I live here and I hate it. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, that's always my go-to whenever somebody is like, it was about states' rights. And I'm like, yes, states' rights to what? <laughs> like, all you got to do is go no, back I'm to saying, the first sources. The union- no, I know. They they yeah, weren't the union. they weren't like superheroes or anything being like oh we're freeing we're freeing That's slaves what I meant. to be great like, people. They were no. still 
yeah. There's everybody was wrong. <laughs> I, agreed. Uh, so, like I mentioned, the family moved around often. Uh, so they were moved several times in the state of Kentucky, then to Missouri in 1854, to Texas in 1862, as Missouri got involved in the Civil War. But then they went back to Missouri after Texas didn't work out. Then they were forced to evacuate their farm and they moved to Kansas City. So once the war was over, they moved back to Missouri. So they were just all over the place um, during the war. All over the South. Basically. So during the war, Carrie helped to nurse wounded soldiers after a raid um, in Independence, Missouri. <laughs> she was apparently six feet tall. Miss Girl was six feet tall. She tall as shit. She should have played basketball. Yeah, honestly. There was one source who said that she was just over five feet, but literally everywhere else, including, I believe, in her autobiography, she mentioned that she was tall. So I don't know where this person was thinking that she was only just over five feet, but... She's, I would say she's probably somewhere in the middle. She might not have been six feet tall, but she was definitely on the taller side. Definitely not, like, short, it, especially based off the pictures yeah. that I saw. So in 1865, at the age of 21, she met her first husband, who was Dr. Charles Gloyd. Um, at the time, he was boarding in their home, and because I guess back then it was normal to, like, rent out rooms in your home to people who were traveling. and yeah extra income that sort of thing well, that's how you you can make money yeah um he was a young physician who fought for the union he was also an only child so he was teaching near the family's farm as he was trying to figure out where he was going to establish a medical practice he did eventually decide on holden missouri and that after he figured that out he went to go basically proposed to carry so they were married on november 21st 1867 and apparently her parents did not approve of their relationship because they believed that he was an alcoholic and he was but yeah she didn't yeah but pretty much everybody was back in the day (laughs) the time honestly so she said that Charles's mother told her he never drank until he joined the military and fought in the Civil War. So that kind of speaks to me like he had PTSD and he coped by drinking. Yeah, because I heard that war was rough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like war in general is rough, but especially like that kind of one when you're fighting a war and that you don't have medicine. Yeah, like Good medicine. The, tacti- the medical tacti- uh, tactics and stuff back then were just not well developed there's no medicine that's a lot of amputations happen like it a lot of um um, infections yes so she should have listened to her parents because they separated only a couple months later and she moved back in with her parents she claims that at the time she didn't know that he had a drinking problem and that she was too in love to listen to her parents advice which like i get like if you're in love with somebody you don't necessarily always see their flaws right away so Um, Her parents kind of forced her to leave him. So she didn't necessarily want to leave him, but her parents were like, no, this isn't a good environment for you. So like her parents were looking out for her. I get that. That's good. That's nice. So I have a quote here from her autobiography. Um, I have it listed, like the title of it listed in our sources. So go ahead and check it out. Like a lot of it. I mean, you don't necessarily need to read it unless you want to know more about Carrie Nation and, like, why she did what she did. There's a lot of talk about her religion and stuff. She's a very staunch Christian woman, which, like, it's fine. That's absolutely fine. But it's there's a lot of that in there. So unless you really want to know more information, you don't have to check it out. But this quote was from that book. Quote, when Dr. Gloyd came up to marry me the 21st of November, 1867, I noticed with pain that his countenance was not bright. He was changed. 
The day was one of the gloomiest I ever saw. A mist fell and not a ray of sunshine. I felt a foreboding on the day I had looked forward to as being one of the happiest. I did not find Dr. Lloyd the lover I expected. Unquote. So clearly alcohol was not was not a great thing for Dr. Lloyd because it changed who he was. He was very much an addict in a that mean sense. Drunk. Yeah. yeah. That happens to a lot of people, though. Like, they could be the nicest people, but if they get drunk, they could be, like, it's like a mm-hmm. like a switch. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Yeah. Because alcohol lowers your inhibition, so I think it can also lower your tolerance for certain things, too. Like, if you're annoyed easily already when you're sober, like, it's even more so when you're drunk. At least... That's my assumption. I haven't been, like, super drunk before. Brit, on the other hand. <laughs> I'm a fun drunk. I cry. I, you are. You are. Well, I don't, that's not fun. Well, I do you cry, cry and you also um, curse people out for not liking Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> that's my 21st. I, w- I went down for her 21st birthday, and we went to Buffalo Wild Wings, and she was, like, having shots. <laughs> she was yelling at one of her friend's boyfriends. I had seven... Red Bull vodkas. And then that was the fifth one, the waitress was like, Do you have a ride home? I'm like, You're asking me this after my fifth one? Yeah. Like, not, yeah, I do, but thanks. Not after the second one. <laughs> but it was just hilarious to me. I'm sitting at the other end of the table, just cracking up because she's just like, Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. So when she left him, she was also pregnant. So it was only a couple of. <laughs> I think it was just a couple of weeks, maybe no, a couple months before her I'm her sure daughter they was born. Tell. So her daughter, Charlin, it's spelled like Charlie with an N at the end. So I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it was her daughter was born on September twenty seventh, eighteen sixty eight, and she was named after her father because his name was Charles and Carrie called him Charlie. So obviously, she still cares about the guy, you know. So. Uh, some sources said she should have just called him. She should have what just named the kid like Charlotte and called him Car- called her Charlie for sure. You would, you would, would think, Carlin, but, but like whatever. I mean, it's the end of the seventeenth, no, nineteenth century. You can't. There's no logic there. <laughs> no logic. So. Some sources said that Charlin had health issues, which Carrie actually attributed to Charles drinking. She would talk a lot about how drinking, like, was of the devil and that kind of stuff. So I could understand why people thought she might be cray-cray. But, like, the reason why she was so against drinking was because of what happened to her first husband, essentially. And yeah, there, there's more reasons, but that was that was one of the things that kind of made her super passionate about prohibition. Charles died about six months later after Charlie Charlin was born in 1869 of pneumonia and delirium tremens. Did not look that up. Probably should have. But Carrie obviously attributed the failure of their marriage and her later pa- passion for prohibition to Charlie's drinking. So following his death, Carrie was a single mom. Like, new, like basically a newborn. She sold her inherited lands and some of the items that she got from Charlie's estate, uh, then used the money to build a house in Holden, Missouri. She lived there with Charlie's mother because Charles was an only child, so she had nobody to really look yeah. out for. Her husband had died, I think, 
very shortly before Charles did. So she was literally, like, they were both literally by themselves. I'm surprised she was able to get a divorce at this time. Well, I don't know if they, I, I don't know if they ever allowed divorces. Back I don't know then. if they were actually officially divorced or if they were just separated. Um, like if they just didn't live together so that's what I was saying, because then she would have a, so then she would technically have a ba- the yeah. bastard and the, child. The, and that is looked upon. Yeah. And I mean, they did grant divorces back then, but I think only if a man. Yeah, but women didn't have well, rights. Well, no, I think it's only if like a man filed. Because we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it later. Yeah. Uh, but she, like her second husband filed for divorce. So I know it happened. It's just, I don't think it was as common. So basically she lived in this house with her mother-in-law and her daughter. And she also rented out rooms to to borders and stuff to bring in a little income. Yeah. She gained a teaching certificate from the Normal Institute in Warrensburg, Missouri in July 1872, and she taught for four years before someone on the school board who objected so this was this was her explanation in the book is basically this person objected to the way that she taught the pronunciation of a word <laughs> and got her fired. So oh. I mean Damn, I'd be fired like first day. To be to be honest, like nothing's really changed. <laughs> Parents and stuff try to get teachers fired over the stupidest shit. So we have least... a teaching crisis, okay? So unless yeah. you're gonna go teach, you should just let them teach. Yeah, like homeschool your kids or shut the hell up. So no, no longer being able to support her family because she's not teaching anymore. She basically prayed to God about finding a husband to help care for them. Mm-hmm. She was just kind of like. I'm leaving this in your hands. If this is what you want for me, then make it happen. Jesus, you know, kind take of the wheel. Basically, yeah. From <laughs> <laughs> and shortly after that, uh, I think it was 10 days later, is what she said, uh, she met her second husband, who is Dr. David A. Nation. David was an attorney. She keeps meeting these doctors. I know. Well, this one, I don't know if he was an actual doctor or if he was like a, you know, like a, a doctorate doctor. You know, uh, they're they're different kinds of doctors. But, he just called himself uh, doctor. Well, he went. He was an attorney, so I'm assuming he went to law school, and that's how he got that. I don't know that. That's my assumption. I because he was a doctor, a minister, and a newspaper editor. So it's like <laughs> nothing in that says medical. Gata mate. So yeah, uh, he was also 19 years older than her, and I know that sort of thing was a lot more normal back then, but. <laughs> Although, to be fair, her friends and family actually objected because of the age difference. So I guess it wasn't as normal. I thought you were about to say he was 19. And I was no, like, no. Wow. <laughs> He's 19 years older than her. So I guess she was probably like 22 at this point, 23 maybe. Um, I don't remember how long she and Charlie, like Charles, were married, but it wasn't a very long time. So they got married on December 27th. 1877, which was about six weeks after they met. So they wasted no time. Carrie herself says that their marriage was not a happy one. And she said that he deceived her on a lot of things about him, but she didn't go into details about what those things were. Oh my God, he has a micro penis. (laughs) Yeah, I would believe it. She did also claim that her combative nature spawned uh, from having to, quote, fight for everything that she kept, unquote, from him. Basically, from what it sounded like, he tried to control her life, and she was not having it. 
<laughs> which is valid like she she sounds like the type of person who's always kind of had to like fend for herself and is very independent and strong-willed and apparently this dude did not like that but you know what fuck you because he has a micro penis yes exactly he's compensating he's overcompensating all that dick is in his personality and not in his pants so they bought a 1700 acre cotton plantation on the San Bernard River in Brazoria County, Texas together. However, they both knew very little about cultivating cotton, so it did not work out well for them. <laughs> they basically lost all of their money. So then why, David moved Why would you buy a I don't Why know. would you do that if you don't know anything about it? Right? What? Like, what, what What? was the logic here? That's what I want to know. What? So, David then moved to Brazoria to practice law, while Carrie moved to Columbia to operate a hotel where she lived with her daughter, David's daughter Lola, so her stepdaughter, and also her former mother-in-law, because she kind of moved around with them everywhere. They were living tenant to tenant, basically living on scraps of food for a while, so it wasn't like an instant like moneymaker. So, one really sad telling quote in her autobiography talking about this time was, quote the bittersweet sorrows of my life have come from not having a love of a husband the very thing that i was denied caused me to have a desire to secure it to others unquote and so that's important to keep in mind as you think about how she went about her activism she wanted to make sure that nobody else had this like broken home and she was very much about like keeping families together and helping the family unit. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. The family moved to Richmond, Texas, but they were forced to move to Medicine Lodge, Kansas in 1889. And that's kind of where things happen. They were forced to move because David got involved in what was called the Jaybird and Woodpecker War in Texas. As a newspaper editor or whatever, he had written about the bad behavior of the Jaybirds. It was a whole like political and racially motivated fight between these two political groups, essentially. The Jaybirds were people who were essentially white supremacists. I mean, I, I don't know if I can say specifically that it was white supremacist. It's not like as far as like the KKK, to my knowledge, anyway. But they basically, yeah, they basically believe that black men should not be able to hold office, like political office. And this is after the Civil War. So, like, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I mean, yes, now it's white supremacy, supremacy. But back then, that was considered. Normal, I, yeah, but even after the I Civil mean, War. So I wouldn't really. No, but I it's I'm thinking more of like a mindset, not necessarily like a group of people. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So basically there were like murders and there were assassinations involved in this whole thing and his life was threatened because he had written about it. <laughs> so that's why they moved. Oh. Carrie's mother-in-law stayed in Texas and she ended up passing away a year later. But Charlin and Lola, who were the two kids, I love they the name Lola. both it's a very cute name. It reminds me of um Space Jam. Lola, Lola Bunny. Bunny. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Charlene and Lola, they both got married at that point, so they moved out onto their own. So it was literally just Carrie and David at this point. They moved to Holton, where David began preaching at a church there. <laughs> and this made me laugh because I can just picture it. But Carrie would occasionally interrupt his sermons to correct to correct him on things that he'd said. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Queen. They argued about religion a lot. <laughs> so um, one quote from her was, quote, I knew that my husband ought not to be in the ministry. I do not believe he was ever a converted man, unquote. So she was like, you ain't a Christian, my guy. 
I was like, I mean, that's okay. You don't have to be a Christian. <laughs> no, but it's the fact that he was like speaking as a preacher, you know, and. Oh, no, absolutely. Was... That's a little. <laughs> uh, so David left the church after a short while because of dif- disagreements with the board and they moved back to Medicine Lodge where he went back to pr- practicing law. And he also became an active Mason. So if you've, you like the Masonic uh, the organization. Masonry. Yeah. It's, I, it's a Masonry. I don't, yeah. It's like, I don't know anything about it. I just know that they are. A my thing grandpa and my great grandpa were in it. Yeah. My great, my grandpa, my, my great, my grandpa's currently in it. And my great grandpa. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's the same back then. I can't really tell you what they do. I know it's a Christian organization. Yeah. Um, and they have red hats. <laughs> red hats. Or that might be the Shriners. Interesting. They're in both. I don't know which one the hat is. Uh, well, somebody has a okay. hat and it's red. So, somebody has a hat that's red. Okay, noted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he became an active Mason and he spent a lot of time at the lodge rather than at home. And this would also contribute to some of Carrie's opposition to things. Like she, she was opposed to a lot of things, but I'll, I'll have a list later. The main ones were like drinking and smoking, that sort of thing. So. We're going to talk a little bit about her good works because I want to highlight those because that I don't want that to be overshadowed by the whole crazy uh, quote unquote thing. Uh, so she yeah. basically believed that drunkenness was the cause of many of society's problems. She was uh, active in evangelizing to people in jails and she would talk to them and she discovered that alcohol was the cause of many of their troubles and why they were in jail a lot of the time. So I have a bunch of quotes here. I'm not going to read all of them, but quote, there is no society or business that separates man and wife or calls men from their homes at night that produces any good results. I believe that secret societies are unscriptural and that the Masonic Lodge has been the ruin of many a home and character, unquote. And then, uh, quote, I thought certainly there must be a way to prevent the suicide and murder. I now know that the impulse was born in me then to combat to the death this inhumanity to man, unquote. And that she's talking about drinking because drinking leads to other stuff and ends up killing men either by suicide or various other things. So in 1890, Carrie started a sewing circle in Medicine Lodge to make clothing for the poor and prepare meals for them on the holidays. Um, In 1901, she established a shelter for wives and children in Kansas City, Missouri, which was essentially an early model for what today's women's shelters are, like the battered women's shelters. Once in Medicine Lodge, Carrie also joined a local branch of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. She was also a suffragist, an active supporter of women's rights to vote. Um, She believed that if women had the right to vote and have their voices heard, that she wouldn't have had to resort to such drastic measures with her activism, which makes sense. Like, nobody was listening to her. Nobody was listening to the women who were voicing their concerns, so they had to get their attention somehow. I get it. Yeah. She also would publish, like, a couple of, like, newsletters later on talking about things like this, like the activism stuff, but also talking about, like, child-rearing advice, articles about joys of a happy home and support for her later endeavors. Like, people would mail letters and she would publish them in there. She became active in campaigning for enforcing the ban on the sale of liquor in the state. In 1880, Mm -hmm. Kansas had prohibited the sale of alcohol except for medicinal purposes. However, in 1890, the Supreme Court had a decision called Lessee v. Hardin, uh, Lessee v. Hardin, that stated a state statute prohibiting the sale of liquors imported from another state in their original packaging was unconstitutional 
because Congress possessed exclusive power under the Commerce Clause to regulate interstate transportation. So this decision effectively weakened the Kansas prohibition laws, but Kerry still believed that they were illegal and therefore anyone was allowed to destroy them with impunity. And this is where we're going to get into the quote unquote crime. (laughs) And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. So her protests started out relatively tame. She would serenade saloon patrons with hymns and with a hand organ, either by herself or with a group of the women from the organization she was in. They'd also pray Um, very loudly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But if I was going to the club or to the bar and somebody serenaded me with a hymn and then prayed for me to not drink, I would drink more. No, see, that's the thing is that. So that's ineffective. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the problems with not not problems with activism, but just trying to push your views onto other people is that if the person doesn't want to view it that way, they're not going to. So being in their face about it isn't going to change their mind. I mean, if anything, I'm it's just going to make them more set a, in their belief. Absolutely. I'm down to have a conversation that will be progressive to get us to a position to with that we can either both agree on or agree to disagree on but if you serenade me with a hymn and you pray very loudly for me not to drink i am only going to drink more yes (laughs) so i completely completely understand that so when that didn't end up getting results she escalated to insulting and harassing the bartenders (laughs) with greetings like quote good morning destroyer of men's souls unquote which is (laughs) firstly i love that (laughs) like that's hilarious to me i want to be a destroyer of men's souls i know but they're just trying to make an honest living (laughs) yeah and also i have some thoughts here uh because that was actually one of my thoughts is like insulting the bartenders who are just trying to do their jobs is kind of ick for me. She did say in her autobiography on multiple occasions that the bartenders themselves weren't so much to blame as the government officials who allowed them to run in what was supposed to be a dry state because Kansas's law was saying that no alcohol could be sold, but they were still allowing these saloons to actually exist. So, and then also uh, this is just kind of one of my one of my main opinions about the majority of this uh men are very capable of saying no and not doing something so we should stop coddling them Mm -hmm. anybody who says that they have no control over their behaviors unless the person is like already addicted is wrong so stop coddling men hold them accountable for their actions 2022 hashtag hashtag just say no so one quote that also illustrates her mission is quote i do not wish to get either of you in trouble but want to get you out unquote and she was talking to two men who were drinking in a saloon or whatever so she wasn't actively trying to get anybody arrested or anything she was just trying to get them to stop going So this is the crime. In December of 1894, Carrie and some of her, quote, home defenders, unquote, that's kind of what she called her, like, groupies, I guess, if you want to call them that, uh, went to a local pharmacy run by a man named O.L. Day, having heard he was selling liquor. So they they located a 10-gallon keg of whiskey in his back room. (laughs) He was essentially like... I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so they started looking around and they found this 10-gallon keg. <laughs> so 
they were trying to roll it out of the building and men were fighting with them and they did eventually get it out of there. Uh, they rolled it outside, smashed it with a sledgehammer and then lit it on fire. Oh. <laughs> um, I've been as sad. a result, I've been like that's my whiskey. Let's take gallons <laughs> of it. You just yeah. Why? Yeah. As a result of that like very first incident, uh, her and one other woman's homes were attacked by breaking windows uh, with like somebody threw rocks into their windows essentially. Wow. Edgy. Yeah, I know, right? So this part is a little wacky. She claims she heard a message from God uh, on in June of 1900. <sighs> Don't they always? And I know, I know that people say that they have messages from God and whatnot, and I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just saying that I find it hard to believe. Maybe you should keep like, it to yourself. Yeah, but also... How do you know for sure that it's God and not just you trying to tell yourself that this thing that you want to do is okay? Like Or a demon. Yeah, that too. Or a ghost. So essentially, she says that she had this message from God telling her to go into a nearby city of Kiowa and that Kiowa and to Kiowa and destroy the saloons there essentially and that he will stand by her. So there's a long quote here I'm not going to read, but it's in her autobiography, basically talking about how, like, when she heard this message from God. So then she went to three local saloons in Kiowa and destroyed their inventory of alcohol by smashing them with rocks and bricks that she wrapped in paper to disguise them as packages one would get from a store. She called these smashers. She didn't call them, like, rocks or bricks or anything. She just called them smashers. Quote, I have destroyed three of your places of business, unquote, she declared to the onlookers, quote, and if I have broken a statute of Kansas, put me in jail. If I am not a lawbreaker, your mayor and your councilmen are. You must arrest one of us, for if I am not a criminal, they are, unquote. And so that was something she said after doing all of that, because obviously people were upset. They were calling for her to be arrested. But technically, according to the law, she wasn't doing anything wrong because these establishments were illegal. So she wasn't. That is true. Yeah. So the town marshal, the mayor, and the city attorney decided not to press charges against her for that incident. Um, and shortly after that, all of the unlicensed saloons in Barber County, Kansas, gradually closed and the owners were convicted. And I feel a little bit bad about the owners being convicted, but at the same time, it was illegal. So I'm like, you know. It's a lose lose situation. It really is. So. She was sued for slander after this by some government officials because of her assertion that they were taking bribes in order to allow these places to operate, among other things. <laughs> she was found guilty, though, because the judge in the case threw out basically all of the witness testimony to these officials who were drinking in these places. Because, like, obviously people are seeing, like, these high-up political people who are making these decisions at these places. So it's like, obviously, they're, <laughs> you know, they're getting something out of it being there. Uh, she asserts that he was trying yeah. to cover up for his colleagues and that he went into the whole thing biased. Another one of her famous incidents was on December 27th, 1900, where Carrie destroyed the bar in the Hotel Carrie in Wichita. She used an iron rod and a cane this time around, as well as her rocks. Oh. Because she, she was basically like, you can only throw a, a rock really like once, but at least this way I still have something I could destroy with. <laughs> so for she was convinced that she wouldn't make it out of this experience alive. So she kind of like said her goodbyes to her people before she went in to do this. 
She was arrested, tried, and found guilty of malicious mischief in the same day. This was her first time being in jail, and she said this to the two men who put her in their cell. Quote, never mind, you put me in here a cub, but I will go out a roaring lion, and I will make all hell howl. Unquote. I'm like, damn, girl. Hell has no fury than a woman's scorn. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, so while in jail, she was convinced of a conspiracy that the officials were trying to, like, turn her mad so that they could, like, justify everything that they were doing to her. And at one point, her husband joked that she could do more damage with a hatchet. <laughs> and she apparently said, quote, that is the most sensible thing you have said since I married you, unquote. And that after that, she started to use her, <laughs> her famous hatchet. <laughs> That's funny. That is really funny. That's funny. So what she she called these like destroying sessions her hatchetations. That period was actually short lived, but it brought her international attention. She it was important to note that she didn't actually start doing these saloon smashings. There were people who were doing them before then. I think there was records of it from like 1855. So she wasn't the first one to do it, but she, <laughs> she did it big. So David filed for divorce in 1901 on the grounds of cruelty and desertion because she was out doing her saloon smashing and like speaking events and things like that and he basically was just like she she abandoned me <laughs> which is fucking stupid he basically he didn't approve of her extremist methods and he also died two years later in eight, 1903 so i mean he was old it was it was his time so she trademarked her name in kansas and this is when she started going by carry a nation because it was also a pithy slogan she started to give lectures all over the country about temperance and some of the other things that she railed against besides just alcohol were fraternal orders, like that quote that I mentioned earlier, with specifically the Masons. Mm -hmm. She also didn't like Ivy League colleges. She said that they were sinful places. What? Yeah. I, oh, I remember okay. I remember she was talking, I think it was at Yale, that like in the cafeteria, they were like all of the food had like wine or some sort of alcohol like in it. And so that I think that was kind of where that came from. She didn't like tobacco. One of the lists said foreign foods, and I don't know what they meant by that, but that's a very tragic life to live. If you don't like foreign foods, like... Oh my like, god, sushi? I love sushi. Tacos? Like, that, what, a, what a sad life to Lasagna? live. Lasagna? <laughs> Lasagna. Lasagna. <laughs> Same. She didn't like corsets because she believed that they were, like, detrimental to the organs, which, like, they are. <laughs> so she yeah, basically but encouraged now they're cute they are cute and women aren't forced to wear them anymore like the, if they're wearing them it's because they want to wear them so like that's fine and they're also, also not as tight so that too yeah so uh skirts of improper length basically she didn't think that women should be wearing short skirts which is not if i want to be a hoe and i want to dress <laughs> like a hoe i'm gonna dress like a hoe you're right i don't dress like a hoe but if i wanted to i would so she also wasn't a fan of, like, obviously, like, sexual and pornographic art. She was also not a fan of politics, obviously, because she believed that these politicians were complicit in all of this because they were approving these saloons that were technically illegal. Yeah, so, they all are. They still are. What do you mean? Yeah. So she specifically had it out for William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, and someone named William Jennings Bryan. She apparently applauded the 1901 assassination of President William McKinley because she believed he was a secret drinker and said drinkers, oh quote, God. got what they deserved, unquote, which is that's quite ruthless. terrible. That is very ruthless. I was like, oh, eh, that's that's a little much, Carrie. Sorry. I can't get behind that. Let's see. So basically, she wouldn't immediately go to 
smashing a saloon. She would basically start out by speaking in the street on her position. She met with lawmakers and tried to get them to enforce the laws. But when neither of those things worked, she'd take her followers into a saloon and that's when they would destroy it. And so she wasn't just going to the extreme for the attention. Like she was trying to do other stuff and nobody was listening. Like the lawmakers were not doing their jobs. The policemen were not actually enforcing the law. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. So in 1905, she moved to Guthrie. What was the capital of the then Oklahoma territory? Because it wasn't a state yet at that point. She was hoping to influence the implementation of prohibition there as Oklahoma was preparing for statehood. And on November of 1907, Oklahoma achieved statehood and was designated a dry state because of not just her, but like just the activism there in that area. So between 1900 and 1910, she was arrested over 30 times for disturbing the peace and destroying private property, which like, I mean, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. (laughs) Like, even if it's illegal, like the establishment itself is technically illegal, like it's still somebody's property, you know? So like, yeah, like I don't necessarily condone it, but I get it. I get why you were doing it. So she claims that she was just trying to get the police and the sheriffs to do their jobs of enforcing the prohibition law in the state. And she would basically just pay for her jail fines with fees that she collected from her lecture tours. And also she started selling souvenir hatchets, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Ah, Capitalist queen. Honestly. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Like, she's an independent woman. Her husband is divorcing her because of abandonment, I guess. And, you know, you got to make Why is she not raising her kids? That's what I want to know. Her kid was married at that point. She moved on. Oh, yeah. That's right. I was thinking her kids to like three. No, <laughs> she she grown. Throughout this time, she was also physically assaulted multiple times. Like people were beating I'm the sure. shit out of her in response. Which, I'm like, sure. I mean, that's not okay at all. But I'm no. sure. Yeah. So, a slogan that became very popular in bar rooms. This is hilarious to me too. Was quote All nations welcome, but carry unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, funny. yeah. Yeah, I get it. Uh, so she also made brief, yeah, she also made brief appearances in vaudeville in the U.S. and music halls in the U.K. with her, like her traveling tours and stuff. So she's she's fun. She's she's a fun character. Um, so a little I aftermath. I don't think she's fun. <laughs> she's a little, she's slightly <laughs> extreme. She's a little extra. I mean, I say yeah, fun. <laughs> but it's it's fun to me learning about this so i'm gonna go a little bit into aftermath and then i'll talk a little bit more about my like my personal thoughts on some of the stuff so charlin was actually committed by her mother at one point to the texas state lunatic asylum in 1905 oh my I don't god know why. don't know why i could not find any that's awful really on that her daughter probably liked to drink i'm you right she liked that jose cuervo <laughs> She and Carrie then moved to Austin, then Oklahoma, and then Hot Springs, Arkansas, and that's kind of where she like settled, like in the Arkansas area. Carrie published her autobiography in either 1904 or 1908. I found conflicting information on that, and then she used the money from that to buy a house in Kansas City, Kansas, where she would have a shelter for wives and mothers of drunkards. It was called the Hatchet Hall. Oh, that's nice. Nice. Yeah, like she did a lot of good things, even like even while she was doing like the extremist stuff. (laughs) She would later retire in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. She bought a large house there for her and several women who had lost their homes because of alcoholic husbands. Supposedly in January 1910, a female saloon owner in Montana beat Carrie Nation up, and she was hurt pretty badly from this. And 
In January of 1911, so about a year later, Carrie collapsed during a lecture in Eureka Springs Park. She uttered the phrase, quote, I have done what I could, unquote. She was taken to a hospital in Leavenworth, Kansas, where she was supposedly in a coma. I only saw one source that said she was in a coma, so take that with a grain of salt. But she died on June 9th of 1911, so it's possible that she was in a coma that whole time. I don't know. Maybe from, like, leftover injuries from all of the beatings she got. Uh, She was 64 years old at the time of her death. Uh, So one year after her death, Kansas women actually received the right to vote. It was, like, just a little too late. But uh, she was buried in an unmarked grave initially. Damn. (laughs) They really hated her. Beside her mother in Belton City Cemetery in Belton, Missouri. They later, like, erected a stone. I think they probably did it as more so to protect her body so that nobody would try to dig it up than anything because like people back then did that kind of thing (laughs) Um, they still do it now what do you mean i mean you're not wrong but i I feel like it's a little bit harder to do it now because of like surveillance cameras and stuff (laughs) um that doesn't stop them people still rob banks in their surveillance cameras i mean you're not wrong you're not wrong so later the women's christian temperance union erected a stone inscribed with quote faithful to the cause of prohibition she hath done what she could unquote About eight years after Carrie's death, the 18th Amendment, the nationwide prohibition law, was ratified on January 16th, 1919. This was obviously later repealed and prohibition ended on December 5th, 1933 by the 21st Amendment. And Kansas's prohibition law was repealed in 1948. The 19th Amendment, which was... prohibition lasted all of the 20s? Yeah. Because I thought they, like, party-hardied. Well, they did. That's when the speakeasy became a big thing. And so those were like Uh, secret hidden joints. And so it was, that's kind of like where the whole like gangster flapper culture came from, was from Prohibition, where they were like doing all of this like sneakily, quote unquote sneakily. So the 19th Amendment, the right for women to vote, it was ratified in 1920. So these things happened a couple years after she passed away. Her home in Medicine Lodge was bought by the Women's Christian Temperance Union in the 1950s and declared a U.S. National Historic Landmark in 1976. So, some personal thoughts. (laughs) And I'll try not to be too long-winded about this, but I'm of two minds on the whole prohibition thing. Because on one hand, I think it's, it's trying to legislate morality in a sense, because... A lot of it was based on Christian ideals and the idea of abstinence from impurity. The thinking behind that movement also kind of seemed to remove the agency from men, you know, and their decision to indulge by putting the blame onto the alcohol for being tempting or on instead the like, of, yeah. lawmakers instead of like just the men for choosing to engage in this behavior in general. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very similar to rhetoric that's in today's Christian circles, and I feel like I can speak to that because I live in the fucking Bible Belt. Yeah, in outside, you and me both, out, sister. Outside of Lynchburg, where it's evangelicals galore, there's at least, like 400 plus churches here in Lynchburg alone. So. I know when we you were visiting me, we I was like, "There's a church," and then if you go up here, there's a church, mm-hmm. and there's two churches right here. Yep. It's like literally there's a church like on every block. It's like Starbucks except churches. So it's very similar. (laughs) This too. It's similar to the rhetoric in Christian circles today. I know at least in evangelical ones. I can't speak for other denominations, but 
the onus is on the woman to not cause a man to stumble, you know, and that sort of thing. And it's like, it's to prevent the man from giving into temptation. And so they condemn the I think... woman instead of, uh, and tell her to control her behavior and not the man who's the one who's this doing This is it. why I have a problem with Christianity. I was raised a Christian. Um, Me too. It wasn't until like a couple years ago that I've realized that I am not a Christian. I'm probably agnostic, if anything. But this is why I have an issue with, uh, for Christianity, for example, like they put so much emphasis on the woman mm-hmm. having to be responsible and the woman doing this. And then they go by the Bible that has been wrote and rewrote mm-hmm. five million times. And even still... So. If they were actually going by the Bible, they would pay attention to I, I cited I cited this Bible verse because uh it's it's one of my favorite to go back and to. The Bible contradicts itself. Well, it does. The entire the book. Uh it does in in many places. And I'm not here to debate anybody, so please don't message us to be like, um, actually yeah, uh, I don't we care. We don't care. Uh the I, only thing I will delete it. <laughs> the only thing I will say is that Matthew five, like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He himself says that a man is responsible for preventing himself from sinning. So <laughs> what do I know? On the other hand, about like the prohibition thing, like the saloon owners were also more concerned about making a profit than preventing people from getting addicted. But at the same time, it's not necessarily their fault because they're just existing, doing a bit like making well, money. Well, I was about to say, that's kind of like putting, that's kind of like putting... Okay, for example, that's saying that it's the bar's reason that you decided to drink and drive. Yeah. Like, you decided to, That's not their yeah. fault. They were just doing yeah. their job. But it's also... You can also counter that with... Um, it's the drug dealer's fault you got addicted. Yeah. And I think... Like, I kind of get it because, like, Texas had been considered a dry state for 20 years, but the saloons were continuing to operate. So it's like they knew that they weren't supposed to be open. So like in that instance, I get it, but yeah, it's like, it's taking away the agency of men basically saying they don't know any better. And it's like, no, they do. Like they chose to initially go into this. And once somebody gets addicted at that point, it's not so much a choice as it is like, like their body, a mental illness. Yeah. Their body is compulsing them to continue with the activity. But that initial, Going, starting to drink, starting to do drugs, that initial thing, somebody chose to do that. Like, you can't take Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And that's my, st- that's my stance on it. Mm-hmm. Addiction, it, it, yes, it's your choice to do said drug or drink said drink, but you don't choose to get addicted. You don't choose to ruin your life because that's usually what happens when you get addicted. You don't choose yeah. to ruin any relationship that you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I hate. I will not debate this with anybody because I've seen it firsthand. I hate when people try to nah, 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 nah. shut the fuck up. I don't care. <laughs> Mood. Um, and that also kind of goes into the next bullet point that I had here was that like at that time, women had to rely on men to be the breadwinners and to care for the family. And so if a man was falling into alcoholism. Yeah, job. Yeah. So if men were like falling into alcoholism, it's not the most ideal of situations. So like I get why Carrie was so emphatic about stopping men from drinking because she was trying to protect women essentially she was trying to do it for the women yeah Yeah. for the women and children i see her point i 
think she's just a little bit of extreme. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And But I see her point. And I also get why she eventually went to that point, because she had tried the other routes. She tried going the less sensational routes and talking to people, and she'd gotten nowhere. So, like, I definitely get why she got rowdy, because it was the best way to get people's attention. And... Uh, that's kind of yeah but i don't think her blaming the saloon oh no absolutely and the bartenders and that's the thing is that like she she said it a lot in her autobiography talking about how they're not necessarily to blame so much as the government like officials and the people who allowed them Why to are operate you harassing them? yeah it's like it it was she was definitely pointing fingers more at the politicians than she was at the bar owners but she was still insulting the bar owners so i'm just like eh, that's a little icky for me yeah, so like I have a quote here that's specifically one of the ones talking about how she's more pointing towards the government. So, quote, the smashing in Kansas was intended to strike the head of this nation, the hardest blow for every saloon I smashed in Kansas had a license from the head of this government, which made the head of the government more responsible than the dive keeper, unquote. So like she was constantly saying it's not necessarily their fault. It's the government's fault for letting them operate. So, yeah, but you're not hurting the government exactly. when you destroy these things. You're hurting small business. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a small business owner. Yeah. It's a saloon owner. who's That's his livelihood you've just destroyed. Yeah. So it's like, I get it, but I think she could have done it a different way. But at the same time, yeah. like, if I if I had been in her shoes, if I had been in that that sort of situation back in that day where I didn't have any rights. I couldn't vote in people who would actually like advocate or not advocate, but I probably would have done it. Yeah. Too. That's the thing is like, I probably would have done the same thing. Like I would have, I would have done something like she was definitely trying to protect women and stopping the cycle of domestic violence and uh, a ban- like broken families and things like that by what she was doing. But yeah, it, like if I had no, no rights to really do anything else, I would make some noise. Like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I can't I can't blame her. Yeah. I just feel like I mean, there was no really other situation she could have done. Yeah. But I feel like the route she chose hurt so many people in the process. Mm-hmm. Cause like especially feet I mean, especially if they were a female bar owner. Yeah. You're kind of going against what you're standing for. Yeah. I think she was just so emphatic on the I think she was frustrated yeah she was frustrated she was very she had a lot of put a lot of emphasis on the fact that drinking alcohol just led to more societal issues than was necessary like it caused more problems than it helped essentially so she was just like this yeah like we need to get rid of it so that we can fix these other societal issues and like i get that because yeah, you want to get to the root cause of the problem and not treat the symptom. However. <laughs> it's money. Money is the root of all evil. Yeah. You're not wrong. So that was the fun case of Carrie Nation. She's not necessarily a criminal, but at the same time, she was destroying property. So that's why I was like, eh, it, it works. I just wanted to impart this wisdom. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I went down one of those ADHD like hyperfixation rabbit holes. So I am sharing that with you all now. And now I can successfully close that chapter (laughs) yeah i don't know she's she was just an interesting character and i get what she was standing for i think she could have gone about it in a little bit better of a way but like i said if i'd been in her shoes i probably would have done something similar i can't say that i wouldn't have i i mean then again as somebody who was half black i probably would have (laughs) had would have actually gotten arrested for doing something like that (laughs) 
actually would have I, I would have gotten murdered probably. I was gonna I say you probably would have got a shot, but then I didn't want to say that. I would have got I would have gotten lynched if I did something like that. So it is what it is. Lynched in Lynchburg. <laughs> oh stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All it's right, not funny. So, it's a serious problem. <laughs> so that was the fun story of Carrie Nation. I hope you learned something. Um, definitely look more into her. Basically, any woman in history you hear about who is considered quote unquote crazy, there's probably a reason why people are saying that she's crazy, and it's because she had a valid point, and people don't want to actually listen to it. So, do your own research. Anyway, our socials. You can find us on social media. We are on Facebook at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on uh, Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. And we are on YouTube, YouTube. Shockingly Wicked Podcast. I had to think about it. I haven't uploaded anything in like weeks. I'm sorry. Patreon. I'm I'm so sorry. I haven't uploaded anything in weeks. It's been it's been crazy. We are also on Patreon at Shockingly Wicked Podcast, and we have our website, which is shockinglywicked.com or shockinglywickedpodcast.com. It takes you to the same place. We have all of the links for all of our socials and our Patreon on there as well. Check it out. We have a lot of stuff there, and it's really cool, and I'm really proud of it. Any money that you guys give to us when you sign up to be a patron on Patreon will go right back into the podcast. Um, it'll help us to make it better for you make it better for you potentially hire out some of the things that are less desirable like editing or various things like that because the more money we have we can actually hire somebody to do some of that stuff for us and that way it'll be more consistent and it yeah if you have case suggestions you can either email us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com or you can find our contact form on our website you can send in case suggestions that way or any other inquiries that you may have we are also actively looking for other true crime podcasts who are looking to promote their podcast and we can swap promos so if you are interested in doing that um you can either reach out through our contact form or you can check with Brittany um through instagram message or something along those lines and uh, let us know probably shoot us an email um we get a lot of instagram messages and that it'll get lost and i would hate yes. for it to be lost yeah so the best way is to reach out through our email or the contact form and we can figure out a way to get you guys promoted through our episodes and vice versa so yeah i think that's everything so we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>